everyone, welcome back to the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters. With your questers, Josh and Dan, I am Dan. I am Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things Vergigormical, because we have one last horror to talk about, and this is the one. So if you've sent us anything about Vergigorm, we'll get to that on another episode, but we are going to spend all night, all episode, talking about the big bad nasty himself, Vergigorm. Yes, this is probably a good companion to the Cult of the Great Hunter episode that we did as part of our Secret Societies podcast, because that also talks quite a bit, not about Virgigorm itself, but about the various groups that sort of operate under its auspices to whatever extent you (laughs) want to consider that. Absolutely. Virgigorm is the big one. Virgigorm is Earthdawn's Great Cthulhu. Yeah. Virgigorm is the hunter of great dragons, appeared as one of the three named horrors in the original first Horror edition book. book. Yeah. With numbers that were impressive then, to a certain extent, are still somewhat impressive. Yeah. Although I imagine a fourth edition version of the stats would probably be tuned up in a couple of places simply because of the way that the mechanics have changed and things kind of stack in fourth edition player characters are able to get higher numbers than they were before. Mm -hmm. And that could affect how this big guy can be dealt with. Totally. I love the fact that this essay comes from Icewing and not just from a name giver because this Big Bad Nasty is so important, it actually has to come from a great dragon himself. And I love Virgigorm's nicknames. The Horror of a Thousand Faces. The Corrupter. The Horror that is worshipped as a passion. The Great Hunter. And the Horror that was, the Horror that is, and the Horror that shall ever be. Yes, the entry here in the Horrors book is very similar, in some respects, to the entry that would have appeared in the Dragon's source book and actually yeah. did appear in the second edition Dragons, the Living Room Games Dragons of Barsave yeah. book that came out, which talks about the origins of the dragons, is very similar to this because it's the same story. Yes. In a sense, it is an origin story and reveals, at, at least in this version of it, that there was the Dark One. Is what it's yeah. referred to. I've I've got this. If you want me to, if you want me to yeah. take over the creation legend, I think is still really really cool. It's one of my favorite ones that there is. So the dark one, Vergigorn, who has a thousand and seven eyes. Why the extra seven? I'm not entirely sure. Unclosing ears and poisons basically flow from its mouth. It was there at like creation essentially, and its flesh spawned countless abominations. So this is entropy given form, essentially. And it had children that were called Horoi, multiple children. One of those Horoi was different and eventually fled the Dark One's domain. And this Horoi slept a deep, long sleep after this journey across the entire world because it was a long, tiring journey. This Horoi then transformed during its slumber, kind of like a hibernation, kind of like a butterfly uh, chrysalis thing, and completely changed its form to now like white scales and yeah, 
uh, like a dragon. It then realized it was completely and utterly alone. But it looked around and saw the beauty of the actual earth untainted by the dark one. And therefore it wept. And the first tier made a dragon. The second tier made the elf. The third tier made the human. The fourth tier made the obsidian. The fifth tier made the tuscrang. The sixth tier made the dwarf. The seventh tier made the windling. The eighth tier made the troll. And the ninth tier made the orc. This Haroi therefore taught all of these children everything it knew about the impending doom from the Dark One. How's that for your creation myth? And then, of course, after this, the Dark One and all of its children, the Haroi, found where this original one had fled to, Night Slayer, uh, as she called herself. I was going to get there. Depending on how, on your point of view, perhaps the first dragon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how the Dark One and its children found where Night Slayer had gone and came after her. And then Night Slayer sacrificed itself, herself, himself. Again, yeah. you're talking about this sort of like divine, <laughs> all in one kind of idea. Yes. In order to protect her children, the name givers. Mm hmm from the Dark One, and from there, having the Dark One, Virgigorm, swear eternal vengeance against Night Slayer's children. Yes. Which is why the horrors come back whenever they can to try and destroy the world. It's a great story. Love this It's story. a great origin myth. I, in my more contemplative moments like to (laughs) think about how this story might reflect some of the events that happened in the distant past in prior ages of magic. Yeah. How things might have come to be within the setting Mm -hmm. with dragons as exceptionally long-lived and knowledgeable beings with the memory crystals and the other things that they have of a way of keeping track of what has gone on. The fact that you've got all wings, you've got these, even to a certain extent within draconic culture, these myths and stories of the earlier dragons who are yeah. children of Night Slayer. Mm-hmm. And how much of this might be how the quote-unquote true history might have shifted in the telling or the narration, either intentionally or otherwise, Mm -hmm. in order to keep their secrets just in terms of an idea of Night Slayer came from somewhere else to Earth. The idea that maybe life on Earth... Mm-hmm. came here as a result of something else. Yes. Of course, then the play of Horoi, as what they're called, being very similar to horror. Yes. That that's sort of an etymological, <laughs> that they are now an enemy, that they that, that sort of has corrupted to a sense, etym- etymologically speaking, yeah. to become horrors because they are these foul things, but that there is this potentially some kind of history or relationship that kind of exists here, which gets mm-hmm. hinted at a little bit in some other cases where you've got like Ezerthgraf. Yes. Who also talks about being this very ancient 
being who has secrets and kind of knows maybe more about what has actually gone on in the past. Mm -hmm. It's just really interesting and a lot less personal than any of the other entries in this book has been. Yeah. Because as I have said multiple times, whenever pretty much whenever Virgigorm comes up in comparison <laughs> to other horrors, Virgigorm is not a horror, I don't think, that is really intended to be faced off against. I agree. I kind of make the reference to Great Cthulhu. Yeah. From the Lovecraftian mythos, but similar to things like Azathoth or Yogg-Sothoth or these powerful mysterious alien beings that normal people are beneath their notice. They are too vast. They are too alien. To comprehend. <laughs> to comprehend or understand or relate to in any regard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the dragons still have a relationship to him because of this supposed history being the first and favored children of Night Slayer. And yeah. so therefore the enmity is a little bit more personal. Yeah, I, I, love, I love the fact that Night Slayer... Essentially, during the whole fight, announced, I am the mother of beauty, I am the father of good, I am the protector of all that is light. And so they are without gender. Yeah, well, no, that's that. No, go ahead, yeah. finish, finish your thought. No, I was gonna say, they're basically without gender, and they just are this force that escaped the evil that they were that they were born from, transformed themselves, even though they didn't really have an effort in doing so. They basically took a long sleep, and the chrysalis just kind of happened where they saw what was going on around them, they escaped it, and then found their own spot to create their own new life from, and then was able to do the same thing, which is bear their own, the fruit of their own labors, essentially, but they're still genderless in doing so. But then there's the chrysalis that is similar to the astral cocoons that dragons yes. undergo when they're maturing. Totally. There's the idea, and this is like huge stretch speculation on my part, Go, man, go. When we talk about Night Slayer, the mother of beauty and father of good protector that all is light, you skipped the last bit of that. Oh, I okay. command you to leave this place be gone. <laughs> the land itself rose up against the dark one. Yeah. I have talked about my thoughts in the past about how the magic cycle came to be in the first place. Yeah. And like this being sort of a reflection of that, of the first dragon Incarnation. Saying yeah. the first incarnation, the earliest time of whatever this happened, yeah. that magic and the potentially intentional attempt to get rid of magic in order mm -hmm. to prevent the horrors, the Horoi and Vergigorm from being able to intrude on the world and yeah. how that might have affected things and how that might have affected dragon culture and their relationship with the Therans. There is so much potential consequence and explanation, for lack of a better term, Fair. for why Vazdanjas is so cagey about certain things and why Mountain Shadow in his commentary on the Outcasts stuff mm -hmm. about the Great Dragons is so clearly referring to things that all of the other dragons are aware of, but that yeah. we aren't necessarily. Mm-hmm. The idea of we aren't the intended audience, so he doesn't need to explain something because his audience knows what he's talking about. Yeah, they're in on it. I mean, we talked about this with the Dragon series about how the writing in that, again, 
late developed book and really mm-hmm. like shows the strength of the development team and the writers that they had yeah. to hint at a much broader and deeper world without necessarily needing to have come up with all of the detail specifics that aren't mm-hmm. strictly relevant to what is going on at the time. It's a classic fantasy novelist trick of be really detailed about one thing, and then mm-hmm. your readers will be willing to accept that you are equally knowledgeable and detailed about the things that you don't get into that depth about. (laughs) But I just, I like that idea of the magic cycle itself having been something that was done in an attempt to stop the horrors, in an attempt to drive the horrors out or to exile them, and how that would have consequences for the dragons, which are if you kind of take this story at more face value are a lot more magically close to the heroi and their magical nature and therefore are affected by it and themselves kind of forced into a hibernation the yep. way that night slayer was mm-hmm. before they awoke again there's a lot of stuff that you could go that's really interesting and some potential metaphors or um um allegory Ah. <laughs> yes. I knew I was good at it eventually. <laughs> More like allegorical, where it is using metaphor and symbolism to relate a story that is supposed to be like a parallel to whatever. Mm-hmm. Even at this point where we might be a few dragon generations from whatever these events are, yeah. this is the story that is told to pass on the lessons that were supposed to be taken from mm-hmm those early days. And we just get these glimpses of dragon culture to a certain extent in the early works in the first edition stuff, tying that into this and just thinking about what that could potentially mean for the bigger picture, which again is not generally relevant to the vast majority of stuff that you are going to be doing in your typical earth dawn game. Yeah. It's It's just just great backstory. It's great setting. It is an interesting backstory and setting to deal with. Yeah. And I think you're right. Virgigorm was probably never meant to be messed with. But you, when you, once, you, once you stat something, people have to try and hit it. Well, I, I think the stats were kind of there to give an impression of just how powerful it is. Yeah. Without actually going and looking at the direct comparison. Certainly has the highest stats of anything in the first edition Earthdawn book. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure has the highest stats of any horror in this book just to give a comparison because we had been going through these horrors in order from lowest legend point award to the highest yes osvat and the tempter both of them only had a legend award in the book of about two hundred thousand legend points yes virgigorm's legend point total is yeah is is an order of magnitude (laughs) greater it is two million legend points and that was the case in the first edition book as well yeah i did not think to check to see if the stats here in the horrors book were identical to the ones in the first edition book but they are very very impressive yeah whereas even the most powerful horrors in earlier in this book would have base steps for their attributes in the upper teens to low mid 20s or whatever virgigorm has upper 20s for its lowest and its highest attribute step is its willpower at step 40 
It's got a step 35 initiative. Mm-hmm. Three physical attacks and three spell attacks, both of which have attack steps in nearly 40. 40, yeah. Yeah, 38 for, for physical attacks, 40 for spell attacks. Step 40 damage for its physical attacks. Mm-hmm. Its defenses are all in the 30s. Yep. It's got 40 physical and mystic armor. Yep. It's got 20 recovery tests. It's got a death rating of 400. It's got 50 karma points with a <laughs> karma step of 20. Yeah. It's karma step on its own is equivalent to the base attribute steps of some other horrors. Yeah. And then it's got... Most of its powers are like step 25, step 30, step 40. Yeah. It's got all of the stereotypical horror powers. Animate dead, corrupt karma, cursed luck, damage shift, horror thread, yeah. which I think is a unique power to Virgigorm. Thought worm, spells... It's actually, its spells are probably the least impressive aspect of it. It's only equivalent of a circle eight wizard. Yeah, like it needs them. Unnatural life. <laughs> like it needs them. <laughs> yeah. Like it needs them. But yeah, that was yeah. the whole point is I, d- I didn't think it was meant to be messed with because one of the sentences, and I had it a minute ago, was that it really is all about taking on the dragons and hasn't shown up much for this scourge. So, because it's too busy dealing with uh, uh, keeping the dragons it, it captured from the last scourge, right? So, story-wise, Virgigorm hasn't been around much. So, I figured that was the line that to tell people: don't bring him in, don't mess with him, don't play with him, because you know, he's here for setting. Virgigorm looms very large in the setting. Looms very large in the lore and narrative and myth of Earth Dawn. Yeah. In part because he was in the original book as the hunter of great dragons and has these, especially for the for the first edition book, these ridiculously high stats. (laughs) It was developed over the course of the game with these little hints. The idea is that to really kind of lean into the Lovecraftian parallels and the Lovecraftian ideas that kind of go along with it. The player characters, rather than dealing with Virgigorm itself, the way that, you know, investigators in Call of Cthulhu would not be dealing with Cthulhu mm-hmm. or Azathoth yeah. or Shubnigaroth or any of them <laughs> on their own, like directly, generally, yeah. they would be more inclined to be dealing with cultists and worshippers and other creatures that worship or are related to the more powerful cosmic entities yeah. – And so that is what they would be interacting with. As it says here, Virgigorm is perhaps the most powerful of horrors. And I would say that from a purely stat point of view, that is probably the case. Although circumstances might result in a particular horror being more powerful or influential in a specific circumstance. But broadly, Broadly. Virgigorm is certainly has the highest numbers out there. And direct confrontation with the horror will almost certainly result in the death of most, if not all, of the player characters in the group. However, characters may oppose the horror indirectly by confronting members of the cult of the Great Hunter, where you are dealing with members of the cult. And those cultists Mm -hmm. can be powerful themselves. Tirlan, for example, from Shattered Pattern, is a high circle nethermancer and member of the cult of the Great Hunter. I think he's like 11th circle, if I recall his stats off the top of my head. And dealing with the manipulations of the cult, how they very well might be 
inspired directly or indirectly by Vergigorm in a similar way that Questors of a Passion would be manipulated or egged on by their patron. Again, the horror that is worshipped as a passion. The members of the Cult of the Great Hunter would be undergoing plots either at the direction of their patron, like in the case of Tirlan, who is, you know, stealing dragon eggs and doing weird dark magic stuff with them, or people who are in some respects perhaps broken by the scourge and its aftermath decide to hitch their wagon or to worship something that seems to them to be more powerful than anything else. Worshipping the hunter of great dragons, worshipping the horror of horrors, because even the passions could not stop the coming of the scourge. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Virgigorm, as the greatest of horrors, is more powerful than them. And so let us worship him and perhaps in some way in our broken perspective on the world gain some mercy is not quite the right term, but (laughs) absolution boons or favor or whatever from this great cosmic power that is on some level perhaps seen to be behind the breaking of the world. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Obviously, you run into stories of long-term games or powerful games where you end up with 13th, 14th, 15th circle Mm -hmm. characters, sometimes in multiple disciplines. Yeah. And you get to the point of that's similar to like the stories from old A&D&D days where, oh, well, we went and we fought Thor and we killed Thor and broke the Rainbow Bridge. Virgigorm hasn't really been seen aside from the activity of its cult. And there's no clear indication whether its cult are simply people who are worshiping it or somehow are being directed by the Mm -hmm. horror, but it hasn't really been seen. You could certainly have cultists that might be working to try and bring Virgigorm into the world. And the idea would be to to stop them. And perhaps if you have a powerful enough group, maybe have a manifestation or a little bit of Virgigorm comes through, but you're not really able to destroy it. It is too vast. It is too incomprehensible. It is too disinterested in the petty lives of the mortals who are here but a few decades in the way similar perhaps to how Bualgathor does not find adequate pleasure or sustenance in feeding off of regular name Mm -hmm. givers it needs to feed off of other horrors in the same way that Ezerthgrath really likes the the longer lived victims in a similar way that Chantrell's horror keeps its victims alive in order to extend the torment and the pleasure that it can get out of feasting off of Mm -hmm. them. Virgigorm really only gets satisfaction and sustenance from the dragons. Yeah. Virgigorm is not going to go and crack open a care to get at the handful of M&Ms that are inside for for lack of a, you know, for a a parallel there. your raiding party coming at him is more like, you're the burr in my shoe. I'm going to take my shoe off, get rid of the pebble that's in there, I'm going to shake you off, and I'm going to go do what I need to do to the dragons. That's how Virgigorm's going to look at your raiding party. But certainly, you know, when we were talking about the dragons, when we were talking about some of the secret societies, especially as your campaign gets higher circle, when you start dealing with the cult of the great hunter, 
and the powerful individuals that are affiliated with it in some way, you are becoming involved in the affairs of dragons and everything that goes along with that in terms of potential allies and patrons and supporters. Because if you are working against an organization that is targeting the dragons, the dragons may very well take interest in your career. Yes. Perhaps behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. but there is a pretty strong tradition when you've got adventures like the published adventures that do involve the dragons starting all the way back with infected the connection with dragons that starts there and then continues on in shattered pattern of the dragons having an interest in Mm -hmm. that and becoming involved in in the player characters lives as a result so Vergigorm, we've talked, we've, I can't say danced around it, but we've, we've kind of hinted at what's going on here totally. And with the legend, the creation legend, Vergigorm basically has two obsessions. One is the insatiable hunger for power. And two is the fanatical hatred of the dragons. Because 10,000 years ago, as Icewing tells us, Vergigorm captured several hundred dragons, placing their astral forms into cocoons, and Virgigorm is has corrupted those astral forms, transforming those dragon those captured dragons into powerful horror-like creatures. The subplot that we now are learning is that incubation period for those captured hundreds of dragons is coming to a close. So they might be spawning here soon, soon being a relative term. We're talking in eons because Vergigorm is that long lasting. Dragons are that long lived. So coming to a close soon could be thousand years, could be 10. Who knows? But that's just a little teaser of maybe this is another scourge coming or at least a resurgence like the tide, you know, pulled back a little bit, but this big wave is going to come like a tsunami. Maybe there's a, a, a an army. Uh. <laughs> right. And you're looking at an entity that is likely to be on par power-wise yeah. with Vestrovin. Oh, yeah. As an example. Yes. Or other, you know, adult slash great dragons. Totally. You're looking at basically like an adult dragon with horror powers on top yes. of it. And one of those things... Again, if you want to talk about a high-powered campaign arc or a high-powered story, mm-hmm. finding out that maybe there is a sect of the Cult of the Great Hunter that has located one of these cocoons and is doing something to hasten its opening. And that rather than facing off against Virgigorm, you're facing off against one of its constructs mm-hmm. and needing to put a stop to that, whether that is by interrupting their ritual or whatever they're doing to prevent it from prematurely emerging or whether the big thing is needing to prevent this monstrosity from running rampant through bar save and destroying anything that it comes across. We talked about uh, Vazdenjas being the eater of cities. Mm -hmm. This is literally that kind of situation that you would be talking about a dragon potentially with horror powers that is not bound in any way by the underlying morality of dragon culture mm-hmm. that exists. Yes, but it was just the one city. <laughs> and it had it coming. 
and generally the the somewhat patronizing view that dragons have of needing to shepherd the lesser races until they have developed enough to have the responsibility. You're talking about a creature that would have no qualms about corrupting and destroying whatever it came across. I mean, calling it a horror construct in a way is, I think, giving it too little credit. (laughs) Agreed. You know, you're looking at things that would be as powerful as some of the the more powerful horror named horrors that exist. Mm -hmm. Take an adult dragon, slap some horror powers on top of it, and that's the sort of thing that you are potentially dealing with. Even a newly emerged adult dragon is a very, very powerful and dangerous opponent to deal with. Vergigorm can certainly have a presence in a higher powered campaign Mm -hmm. and even have a presence in lower powered campaigns because... Cults are something that you can deal with sort of at any any stage power level. To a certain extent, the scale of the plot involved is what would probably determine what tier of adventure it is. Novice adventures are kind of like at the at the very local level. Journeymen at that point, you're looking at regions, city states, Mm -hmm. then at master or warden tier, whatever the the order is. You know, once you break into Circle Nine, then you're looking at potentially province-wide affairs because there are so few of those, and they're so pa- those individuals are so powerful. That's kind of what would be going on with yeah. that. And then you get into these upper ones where you are, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of a cosmic power in terms of what you can bring to bear and the influence that you can have on the world. So that's kind of one way that you could look at it. And so you could have the Cult of the Great Hunter be a recurring theme Mm -hmm. within the game and the manipulations and the plots that they might encounter at any given point with a particular cult would depend on kind of what scale they're at in there. And this all kind of makes sense within the unstructured structure of the cult itself, Mm -hmm. which I think segues very nicely into talking about the horror thread power. Yes. This unique power that Vergigorm has, which is described in the horrors book and is referenced later on in the Cult of the Great Hunter chapter in Secret Societies. It allows the horror to connect the patterns of magical items and name givers, very similar to the way that a horror mark works, but stronger. It is the epitome of things like Karma Tap basically allows the horror to connect all of this stuff, Mm -hmm. allows the horror even more influence over its victims. It's basically weaving a thread to the victim, thereby increasing its ability to affect the target, and at the same time, potentially as well, granting the target abilities so that it can act in line with the horror's desires and goals. I mean, it's got... To what you said earlier, it's got the horror thread power, the corrupt karma, the horror mark, thought worm, and unnatural life. It uses all of those to alter its captured dragon's astral, sorry, true pattern. And so if it's captured them and put them into cocoons, it's using all of its power to corrupt those dragons. And as I said, it's got several hundred dragons from a previous scourge 10,000 odd years ago. So 
that army is waiting to be unleashed by Vergigorn because it ultimately has the intention of creating a new race of name givers that are going to rename and thusly redefine the physical world to corrupt all life forms. Yeah, to corrupt the world itself and everything that it yes. is. That's how evil... Remaking the world in its own image. Totally. Uh, offended in a way by the beauty that Night Slayer died to protect, and so thereby taking its revenge to corrupt and destroy everything yes. and to control everything. You talked about it's one of its desires being power. Yeah. That power to dominate and control and rule and remake everything in its own to dark. To just despoil everything. I mean, you've, you almost could have named Vergigorm the despoiler. It, it, that's really what it, it, its intention is, is to corrupt and despoil everything. Leave no beauty, period. Turn everything into a, a twisted, nasty version of itself uh, or, or of itself. And just, yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> Yeah, Virgigorm is where the cosmic horror themes come to play yeah. in Earth Dawn. It's on a global level. Well, no, it's not even global. It's it's cosmic. Yeah. This is the Galactus. I was gonna level. go with Marvel Comics as well. This is like Eternus yeah. or uh the Or Galactus. This is even bigger than than like Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, this is like the living living tribunal. While that is a cosmic <laughs> it's, threat. It's Brobdenagian in size. This is like whatever entity it was that makes up nowhere, which is the head of a dead yeah. god that is now drifting in the cosmos and is home to thousands of yes. people. It's that kind of thing. As I said, it's basically entropy, but given form and given a name. Again, like Azathoth, Yogg-Sothoth, Shubnigaroth, all of those really kind of high-level... Lovecraftian entities mm -hmm. are all places that you could draw some inspiration for what's going on. The difference, to a certain extent, between classic Call of Cthulhu mm -hmm. stuff and Earth Dawn is the sort of sense of cosmic nihilism that often goes along with Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. While you might deal with a particular issue in a moment, in the grand scheme of things, you are not able to forestall the ultimate demise of the human race as we know it, because we're the unusual ones. We're the anomaly within the yeah. system. And really everything is sort of the cosmic chaos and roiling. Mm -hmm. And we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that there is some sense of order or whatever about it. Earth Dawn has a much more heroic beat back the darkness carving order out of chaos yes. in the in the sort of post post-apocalyptic sense of the mm -hmm. setting but you could very definitely if you are dealing with vergigorm and its longer term plans yes a group of player characters might be able to defeat a particular cult group mm -hmm. and forestall whatever they were trying to do grand scheme of things that's not going to do much of anything against vergigorm or his overall no. plots because those are plots that are taking <laughs> eons <laughs> 10,000 years to come to pass yeah you may be a bunch of 13th 14th 15th circle adepts but you don't have the time or power or the longevity 
you you are maybe temporarily delaying things a little bit, but like many of the other horrors, gee, it set me back a decade. Okay. In the span of my millennia. <laughs> yeah, in the span of my millennia, having to wait an extra century. Yeah. It's a hiccup. This is a plot that I have been working on. This is a shaping that I have been yeah. Congratulations. bringing into You're being for... <laughs> you know, again... I don't want to yuck on anybody's yum. If you want to have a game. You take on Vergigorm. Yeah. Where you take on Vergigorm. That's great. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a bit of joyful hack and slash and throwing the big numbers around and enjoying just and how much if you can do it. power you can wield and seeing if you can do yeah. it. I enjoy that from time to time. That's yeah. fine. There's no, there's nothing no, wrong with it. Just, But I think there is so much more potential. And I think that looking at Vergigorm as the biggest sack of hit points that you can go up mm -hmm. against is doing it and the setting and the themes a disservice. Uh, ultimately. So if you are going to take on Vergigorm in this campaign, we should get to the physical aspects of what he looks like because the color plate in here is really cool. It kind of mirrors the one that I see for taint on the cover. So Vergigorm can, of course, being... Entropy incarnate can manifest in many, many forms. The most common form, apparently he's quadrupedal, which I did not know, but it stands about 15 feet tall at the shoulder. He's got six eyes and a wide mouth face with three inch fangs coming out of that maw with spiked horns on its massive head. Now, 15 feet tall at the shoulder, add on a 10 foot long neck. So now you're talking 25 feet when he's just quadrupedal. His skin gleams like metal. So perhaps it would just be a carapace because a lot of beetle carapace gleam like metal. And he's got spikes protruding all over its body. So go with that. Now, each of his four legs ends in a, uh, ends in three talons, which of course are incredibly sharp. So kind of like bird legs, maybe. And then if he's not quadrupedal, if he stands up on his hind legs, he reaches about 45 feet tall. Again, just his most common form can appear as anything because this is entropy incarnate, but wanted to let you know, in case you see something like that coming at you, run. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you find him on the astral plane, uh, obviously can do many, many, many astral forms because uh, Virgigorm is the big, big nasty. One of the many... There's like only two described in the book. I said, I think they ran out of space. One, he's just a huge face surrounded by spiked horns with dozens of eyes. And the other one, he just makes an astral duplicate of what that other appearance was I just laid out for you is in the physical realm. So scary either way. Just going to say. Yeah. So I talked about Ubir being like the kaiju horror. Yes. Virgigorm is a kaiju horror in a different sense, in part because while it is not as massive as Ubir, physically yeah. speaking, at least man physically in its most common mm -hmm. form, it is incredibly powerful. Yes. It is a cosmic force of nature with all of that implies. Mm -hmm. It is definitely something that, even if you go prepared, is very likely to wreck your day with the amount of power that it can throw around. Again, if we're talking about just looking at the numbers, oh, yeah. it's throwing around attack and damage steps in the 30s and, and 40s, toss a karma point onto any of that with a karma step of 20, mm -hmm. and you're plus being able to absorb 
massive amounts of both physical and mystic damage before you even come close to wounding it. And then on top of that, with its corrupt karma and cursed luck abilities, making it even more difficult to actually be able to do anything to it in the first Mm -hmm. place. You're in for a long, long, hard slog. Yeah. You are at a severe disadvantage. Vergigorm is one of those horrors that if you are going to be doing a game where you're going up against it or perhaps a manifestation of it in some regard or something like that, you are almost certainly going to want to look into seeing if there is some way to gain some kind of edge using pattern magic, thread items Mm -hmm. or, or... pattern items or something like that. Of course, any pattern items connected to Virgigorm would obviously be incredibly dangerous <laughs> to handle. And corrupting. Or at that point, you know, again, you're talking about such cosmic power and such unique circumstances that you would probably just need to come up with a unique ritual where you're not so much going against Virgigorm itself yeah but trying to find some way to forestall or delay or disrupt whatever particular plot that you happen to have come across. Because unless you're really doing a super high-powered game, you're a speed bump. You are maybe temporarily delaying things by a few years. Maybe enough that you won't be around any longer when it's... Coming back. (laughs) Plans come to fruition. Which is a type of success all its own. Exactly. Hey, it's not going to happen while I'm alive. I can't do anything after I'm dead. Then we go from there. So anyway. That's the big V. Yeah. He got his own episode. He deserves it. Yeah. I think we we ran the gamut and covered the whole thing. I'd love to hear, and actually I'm going to love to, to, to read, Lou's recollections of Virgigorm and how, why it was created and so forth and so on. It's just, it's always fun to read Lou's responses on, on the episodes we put out. Yeah. He frequently will provide some additional insight or commentary to the episodes when he has finished listening to them and uh, posts them on Facebook. Yeah. I I still want to hear from any of the listeners uh, on how they used Vergigorm. I really want to hear if there was a total party kill because those are always fun to hear about. Uh, <laughs> I expect a few of those, just saying. But if you have any questions for us, send us the stories to edsgpodcast at gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Until next time, don't go hunting for Vergigorm. For your legend. Even for your legend. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night.